1: For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we're getting cornered today, you guys. <laughs> Bam! You got cornered. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: we are very excited to have a legitimate sex doctor in the house. Um, Ooh. sex doctor is usually what I just call myself when I'm hanging
1: out. <laughs> with a my legitimate husband. sex doctor, <laughs> Sophia.
0: <laughs> yeah, he has a great new book and we basically just got free therapy we
1: did get free therapy and actually ian's a big deal though so tell me about the last time you had sex is his new book but she comes first is like a classic it sold like a half a million copies he invented clitoracy wow
0: he really knows branding clitoracy god damn that's a good word
1: Cliteracy is amazing. He probably sold the whole book proposal on cliteracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But listen, I am so grateful that he has helped men become more clitorate because goddamn, y'all needed it.
0: <laughs> I mean, and honestly, not just men. I think anybody that wants to please anyone with a clit should be clitorate. Otherwise, you're just hurting people down there (laughs) like a bull in a china shop.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, you are about to hear Sophia and I dive into all of our personal sex problems. So get excited, privates. Here we go. Yeah.
0: About to get double curnered. Here you go. (laughs)
1: you guys we are so excited to have Ian Kerner author of She Comes First and now so tell me about the last time you had sex on the podcast because we're going to talk about one of my favorite things which is clitorisy which you're famous for <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm psyched. I would love to talk about clitoracy. It's it's actually probably my favorite topic in the world, and it has been so for at least the last 25 years. So uh, let's talk.
0: Amazing. I wish that was true for most men. You know right? I mean? That would be great.
2: That's what I was trying to do with the book is get the word out to the men, you know, get them clitorate.
1: For anyone who hasn't read the book, because we're mostly going to talk about, so tell me about the last time you had sex, but just for any dudes out there in our audience who need to become a little bit more clitorate, any quick tips that you can offer up?
2: You know, I would, uh, you know, keep in mind that the clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm, that it responds to consistent stimulation, that there is a what's known as the clitorovaginal distance between the glands of the clitoris and the vaginal entrance. So most sexual intercourse positions tend to inconsistently provide any clitoral stimulation. And so I'm a big fan of moving from uh, an intercourse model of sex to an outer course model of sex, which I just believe is the best way to connect and have fun. And I'm all about dismantling the intercourse discourse which almost dismantled me as a person so now i want (laughs) to dismantle it you know i don't know is that a good enough tip for the guys out there i mean i don't know
1: are you telling (laughs) the guys to eat more pussy is that what you're doing
0: (laughs) if i'm understanding you correctly it's to focus more on clitoral stimulation versus penetration right
2: I, absolutely or and you know also I mean the, the clitoris you know has both you know external features and uh, and internal features then mm-hmm. the clitoris kind of looks like a wishbone and the, the legs of the clitoris the crura, wrap around the vaginal entrance so even the first couple of inches inside the vagina can also create a lot of a uh, Clitoral vibration and reverberation. That's one of the, that's probably one of the only reasons that intercourse can feel pleasurable because once you get two or three inches inside the vagina, there are very few sensitive nerve endings. So it's really whatever direct stimulation or friction that you're creating against the uh, clitoral structures, which are quite vast. I mean, uh, all of the same tissue that gets used to create the external genitals, the penis of the guy gets used to create the clitoris. So it's all the same material. It's just most of it is sort of internal.
1: Well, let's dig into your newest book. So tell me about the last time you had sex. This was a little triggery to me because I was like... (laughs) It's not that often (laughs) and it's, I maybe am in a sex rut and so I'm excited to unpack Uh that a little bit.
0: (laughs) I also felt called out because I was like, fuck, I already know what I'm doing wrong. I don't want (laughs) to look myself in the face about
2: this. You know, like she comes first is like such a an inviting warm title so is this book like is the title just kind of like off-putting like fuck you Kerner for asking (laughs) me this question you know (laughs) like I'm not going anywhere near this book
0: (laughs) no it's honesty it's honesty and I think sometimes it's hard for us to have honesty about our own sexual laziness or habits where it's like well we're just gonna do the one position that you know we always do or like you initiate that's right You know, and then you just get really lazy. And I think that's kind of what I did not want to (laughs) confront.
1: Sophia and I, too, have also commiserated about this, but where we're like, fuck, we respond as sex spurts for these articles sometimes. And like, we have a sex podcast. And so then when your sex life isn't checking all the boxes, then you're like, I'm a fraud.
2: No, you're the last thing from being a fraud. You know, the whole second part of the book is really about embracing your constraints sexually, whatever they are, you know, like my whole career and most people that get into like sex therapy, like my whole career was based on just trying to understand myself at first Mm -hmm. and trying to sort of normalize my own experience, you know, sexually. So I always say embrace the constraint, whether that means like, Use this as a call to action to figure out how to start having, you know, more sex or having better sex with yourself in some way. But I would say, like, embrace the constraints. Okay. So
1: we'll we'll unpack our relationship issues a little bit more after we <laughs> discuss the book. Okay. So <laughs> when we got the interview information, it said you're the Sherlock Holmes of the bedroom. So yeah. what mysteries are you trying to solve, okay. Sherlock? <laughs>
2: Oh, boy, I see that's some copy that maybe shouldn't have made it into the marketing copy. But I have to say, I I wrote it. So I'm responsible. You know what I was trying to get across, which is that whenever individuals or couples come in, they often know what they're experiencing. Like a lot of guys come in with erectile unpredictability, a lot of young guys, but they actually are not sure why. And couples come in stuck in sex ruts, and they actually like sex, but they're not having sex. So they know the exactly. what, but they don't know the why. And so being a sex therapist and doing this for 20 years, what I love about the work is that sexuality is so beautifully complex. And there are so many different variables that are intersect at once, like biological, psychological cultural, you know, relational. So in that way, it is kind of like being a detective in terms of like you're trying to kind of help these people understand the why. And if you can unpack the why, then you can help them figure out what to do. And so then that sort of connects into the title of the book, because once I've learned about uh, an individual or a couple's issues, in every first session, I will always ask, So tell me about the last time you had sex. And I do that because, you know, when I was starting out as a sex therapist, I was trained, you know, hear the problem and then take a sexual history. Right. And so suddenly I'd hear about a couple's issues in the room that they're experiencing today. And I was trained to start asking them about the first time they masturbated, you know, and people were sort of like, what is this? We need Help. It's like going to the dentist. We're in pain. Get us out of pain. So I discovered after a while that by asking someone to tell me about the last time they had sex, about hearing about, you know, sex in action, that really a sexual event tells a story and that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a sequence of interactions that are physical, they're emotional, they're psychological. And underneath a sexual event then is what I sort of call the sex script. You know, most couples, you know, tend to fall into sex scripts or people that are having sex, you know, tend to fall into kind of a, a way of having sex. And if it works, fantastic. I usually am not going to see that person. Uh, but very often, the sex script is reinforcing the issue or the problem, even if it comes down to a desire issue and not having desire. It's very often the way desire is initiated, which is the first part of the sex script, that's kind of reinforcing that. So if I can unpack what a couple or an individual sex script currently looks like, and they do evolve and change, then I can help kind of rewrite it away from that pain and sort of towards the pleasure, you know? So it's just kind of, it's like a, a way in. And I work with so many different types of patients, you know, across the life cycle from 17 years old to 75 years old, you know, married, polyamorous, non-monogamous, heterosexual, LGBTQ, trans. And it's like, I love having a methodology that's sort of like universal, mm-hmm. but allows, it allows me to get very specific.
1: When I was reading the book and preparing for this interview, I started to realize I was like, oh, well, when I was single, I would like get ready for these dates. Right. It was like that was like a whole part of like the foreplay for me, essentially, was like me getting ready and like me getting into this sexy mindset. Uh And. You know, we live together. He sees me in my sweatpants all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> my hair's all jacked up. Like, I don't f- always feel that sexy. And so, for my part of it, I'm like, oh, I feel like that is maybe a sex script issue for me or something now. Is that, am I using the word sex
2: script right? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, uh, you know, When I'm when I'm thinking so I'm (laughs) when no no you totally are look when I'm working with a couple and I say so tell me about the last time you had sex I don't say okay tell me about your sex script and let's get into it. No, I say, so how did things get started? Who initiated? Where Mm -hmm. did it happen? When did it happen? Was it sexy? Was it like a hot start? Like you couldn't keep your hands off each other? Was it kind of just a warm start? Like we're sitting there watching some Netflix and it just kind of, we moved towards each other. It was like a cold start, like shit, we haven't had sex in a month. Like let's Mm kind of do this thing even though we don't really want to, or the sex therapist gave us the homework to go ahead and do this, you know? So how did things get going then? This is where my last book, She Comes First, comes in, sort of like, how did you start to build arousal? And how did you start to get warm and get connected? And uh, how did things escalate? And to what extent were you engaging in just physical stimulation? Because so many sex scripts are just sequences of physical behaviors. But what about mind-based arousal? What about all the psychological arousal and creativity that you can sort of infuse into uh, a sex script and then you know as arousal intensified what were you doing was it outer course based was it intercourse based were you in sync is somebody getting left behind who had orgasms who didn't and what sequence what was sex like afterwards did you just reach for your iphone and get out of bed or did you connect with each other and then Courtney what's interesting is then there's the erotic thread which is like, where is eroticism in your life that leads you back to the next sexual event? And what I'm hearing you say, which is so cool, that part of it was just your relationship with yourself and feeling sexy and erotic. So that is part of the erotic thread. So when you ask me, is there a problem with your sex script? I would say, yeah, maybe like with this erotic thread, you used to have it, you know, you would make yourself feel sexy, you said, or dress up or whatever. Now it's like COVID and we're all just not changing out of our pajamas like so yeah so maybe that would be a part of the sex script that we could look to rewrite or adjust a little bit
0: yeah i feel like it's kind of like the same thing where the laziness comes in you know where like you would before for a date put in so much more effort than you do now and the erotic thread is like, yes, to keep the fire going, it's like you should sex each other throughout the day when like each of you is working if you don't see each other that much. But once you've been together for a while, <laughs> you're like, eh, you're like, I'm yeah. busy. You do your own bullshit. I'll see you later. And then by the time the person gets home, you're starting from nothing.
2: That's right.
0: Where you're like having to go through like, hey, how was your day? Blah, 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 blah. Before any other Start right. can happen. So I feel like, yeah, the erotic thread is like part of it is keeping it between each other Totally, and the other part, keeping it between yourself. Like for me, I like to take a bath before having sex because that's my way to connect. And I'm like, I'm going to feel really nice and clean. I'm like, you know, already a little bit aroused from just being naked with myself in the bath. I can like style myself, feel really good, put Mm -hmm. on perfume. So it's the same thing of like, Courtney, you getting ready for a date. It's like treating it a little more seriously than just like, let's bang it out. We got
1: to do it. It's seriously been way too long. Just lay down. (laughs) (laughs) You,
2: You know, it's so interesting about what you're saying, Sophia and Courtney, is you're talking about this erotic thread, and you're sort of talking about building up some sexual energy in yourself prior to sex. And you said so that we don't just come home and it's like we have to start. But what if you're actually paired with someone who's in a different desire framework and he or she can get started like that, right? They can just see you and you look sexy to them even though you don't feel in the least bit sexy. You didn't dress up, you're still in sweats, you didn't take your bath and like they're totally turned on and ready to go. Already there's a discrepancy in sort of the sex script and how you're cultivating desire.
1: Totally, for sure. And I feel like I don't wanna like men, women, put everybody in little boxes necessarily, but I do think it's like, yeah, my boyfriend's ready to go (laughs) at the beginning (laughs) when we have sex, no matter
2: what. Right. So then how do you get it? Like, how do you get going? Do you just have to like have the willingness and put yourself through the motions? What do you do then to sort of, gets synced up. Right. He has what I call highly reactive desire. Or it's also called spontaneous desire. He can take a sexual cue like he sees you, you look sexy. He gobbles up that sexual cue with his eyes. It goes straight to his penis and he's ready to have sex. Right. That's what sort of gets depicted in the media very often. And you're sort of saying that's your boyfriend, but it's sort of like you're saying it's not you. Right.
1: It's not me at this point in my life because maybe like the feedback loop has been disrupted or some you know what i mean and like Uh i'm not blaming it on like a huge part of it is me too it's like we've been in this little small world of just each other Mm -hmm. and then there's also like you know i'm a workaholic and i'm obsessed with my career so like switching out of that sometimes is like a whole thing, which I know Sophia can relate to too because we're the same. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but I also was going to ask, what's it called? So you're saying spontaneous and reactive is what you called how Courtney's boyfriend is. Uh-huh. What do you call it when like for me, I feel like my sexual identity alone is different than my sexual identity in a couple. Mm-hmm. And like uh-huh. for me, Getting turned on is like, if my husband did jump me in that way, that would make me horny if Mm -hmm. I wasn't horny before, but because Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen, then mine doesn't happen. But I gotcha. Oh, I totally
2: get it. This is the most common discrepancy in desire frameworks, especially between men and women. You know, Courtney, you said something interesting that you said, like, oh, well, it's my fault too. Maybe it's me, like I'm working hard. And I think when people don't have that highly reactive or spontaneous desire, they start to wonder, oh, is something wrong with me? They internalize it a little bit. And what I would say is, hey, let's let's hold on for a second. And now let, let me answer Sophia's question. Like maybe you're just in a different desire framework and maybe you're capable of feeling desire just as strongly But how you get there is a little different. You don't gobble up a single sexual cue. Well, maybe what you need is a little more of a cascade of cues. You need more arousal to just simmer or percolate, or you need to have the right ratio between turn-offs and turn-ons. I don't know what your life is like at home, Sophia. If it's my life at home, there's way more turn-offs than turn-ons from like my kids to dishes in the sink Mm -hmm. to just feeling like crap sometimes when I walk through the door. So some people have what we would call clinically responsive desire. It's that desire doesn't just happen. It doesn't just manifest from a single sexual cue. It actually responds to something that comes before it, which is that experience of arousal. So when your husband jumps you, you you must find that arousing, Sophia. I mean, even if it happens quickly, you're still in a responsive place, you know what I mean? And if he doesn't do that, then your desire, you're saying sort of doesn't come online.
0: Yeah. And like when I am, you know, alone or out in the world or whatever, I absolutely will immediately just like see a person and be like, yep, would totally horny for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm on right. my own, but like at my house with my man that I've been with for 15 years, <laughs> what's hot to me is if he's like, fuck you, you're hot like the way that a stranger would react yes but since he sees my old ass all the time he doesn't have (laughs) that like oh my god so then i'm not like oh my god you know so that's kind of and that becomes the feedback loop i think that courtney had mentioned
2: yeah that happens a lot in long-term relationships where you just you two aren't giving off as many sexual cues and so your relationship is more about like all the other parts of the relationship and Mm -hmm. probably being kind of egalitarian and collaborative and communicating. But when it comes to sex, you know, we want eroticism. We actually want a healthy kind of objectification. We want to feel desired and we want to be selfish about our sexual hunger. And that's a different kind of language that you have to, that's the erotic thread right it's not just a sex it's about being able to hop into that space where we are sexy our sexual selves you know one of the
1: things that we learned on our trip to finland because they're so feminist over there right and the bitches are crushing it they're kind of running things and so there's like this weird it's almost like because everything is so fair the guys don't know when to be aggressive or whatever and so then the women are just not turned on (laughs) and they don't want to be with those guys and sometimes I can sort of relate to that in my smaller way here where it's like sometimes I want him to talk to me like
2: (laughs) totally if
0: we're bosses in our daily life like we want to be bossed when it comes to sexual
2: life i'm with you and you know what i want to be i want to be the boss too or i want to be bossed exactly go on i'm sorry sophia
0: no i was just gonna say so i feel like there's a lot of demands that each of us puts on whoever we're in a relationship with you know And it just sounds very funny when you start actually listening to yourself and about what you want. You're like, damn, you're picky. But then everybody is. And it all depends on the other person to a certain degree. So if we're not doing that dance of like, okay, well, you need to be pounced on. I need to pounce. But like also like we each deserve to have the other, you know?
2: Yeah, it's really confusing. I'm working with a lot of younger guys and they're like, mid-20s and 30s, because they're so confused, because on the one hand, they're so nervous about initiating and feel so much pressure around initiating. And then there's another part where they feel like they're sort of expected to sort of be walking erections sometimes or be able to get erections so quickly and have sex. So I'm actually dealing, it's, it's the biggest part of my practice right now is what I call psychological erectile unpredictability amongst Mm. men who are just like they're in this kind of double bind which is like come closer stay away or can i come this close no come this close right it's just there's a lot of confusing messages right now but i agree what we all want in the end when it comes to sex is to be desired you know and that is not the language of oh can you go pick up some milk at whole foods or you know like who's taking the dog out tonight that's the language of like i want to do you, you
1: know? Mm-hmm. Hey, Sophia, have you met your
0: G-spot? Um, is it between the F-spot and the H-spot?
1: I don't know if those are medically correct terms, but yes, it's that <laughs> mysterious little area that is said to hold the secret to toe-curling orgasms and, hey, even squirting. And hot tip, oh my G is my current favorite internal sex toy that will introduce you to this special part of you.
0: Yes, I love the Oh My G. It is so stealthy, it's super silent, and it is the best internal G-spot massager for bodies with a vagina.
1: Right? That unique massaging pearl mimics the come hither motion. It moves up and down to stimulate a tongue perfectly lapping away. It's the exact same motion if you're using your fingers to hit the spot, only a lot less work and 10 times better.
0: You know what I always say, Cokes, come harder and smarter.
1: Yeah, you have to.
0: That oh my G is so quiet that you can literally do it next to your husband who may be asleep because he had a really long day at work, but you are really awake and could really use some G-spot
1: attention. Story of my life. Yeah, and it has three intensity levels, allowing you to choose the intensity of your orgasm. And even on its highest setting, it's quiet.
0: And it is so easy to control. Most toys have a traditional curve, but the Oh My G has a sleek C-shape, which makes it really easy to directly and precisely massage your G-spot.
1: Plus you can store Oh My G without worrying that someone will find it. It comes with a little cloth pouch and it's shipped in discreet exterior packaging.
0: Plus, the Oh My G's made with 100% body-safe, FDA-approved silicone.
1: It's a must-have for any toy collection, especially if you enjoy internal stimulation. And a fun bonus, it can also function as a wonderful external clit stimulator. Ooh, gotta love that two-for-one.
0: Yeah, I vouch for that. Really works for that. <laughs> <laughs> And right now, Oh My G is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 30% off when you go to iobatoys.com and enter code PRIVATE at checkout.
1: That's i-o-b-a-toys.com and use promo code PRIVATE to get 30% off your Oh My G. That offer is also included in our episode description.
0: iobatoys.com, code PRIVATE. Shh,
1: I'm coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so therapy is great when you can and afford it and whatever but what are some easy ways to kind of like bust out of those long-term relationships sex ruts and just start to communicate I guess your needs to your partner and vice versa
2: sure So there's two concepts, which, you know, they're kind of simple. I'll often give my patients uh, some kind of sex homework. And if you read my book, you'll be able to identify what part of the sex script you probably need to do some work on. And so I'll give couples assignments like I want you to create what's called a willingness window. It's a window of time that you're allocating to dedicate to some kind of activity like developing mind-based arousal or watching something sexy. And the willingness comes in because I know when it comes time to do it, you're probably not going to have the desire to do it. You're not going to feel sexual wanting, but if it's important, you can have the willingness. And if you have even an increment of willingness, that starts to be the seed to generate the arousal that can lead to desire and can lead to sex. So the first thing I would say is identify an area that you want to focus on, maybe decouple it from like having sex, like say, this isn't just about us having sex, because more than likely the way you're having sex might be reinforcing something about the sex script that's not working. This is about something else. It's about focusing on a specific thing that we need to focus on. Let's have the willingness to put it down on the schedule, which I know doesn't sound spontaneous, but you know what? Nothing's spontaneous at a certain point (laughs) in life, right? (laughs) Things get planned. So that's one piece of it. You know, you ask the second piece. So, what do you, when you have willingness, you know, how do you start to talk about these things, right? You know, couples come in and they're always talking about their problems, no foreplay, no desire, no erections, no lubrication, no pleasure, whatever it is and i'll always ask them i'll say so if we're going to work together for just a few months and we're going to meet every couple of weeks every few weeks and i'm going to give you some homework in between and things are going to improve and get better what does better look like and they'll start to talk and i'll say no 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 like what does better look like like if i'm a fly on the wall what am i seeing if i'm like a dog at the foot of the bed, what am I hearing? (laughs) If I'm the mattress underneath your bodies, like, what am I feeling? And then they start to describe what they want. And it's not just the solution. It's kind of a fantasy. And then they're going to leave my office and they're going to be charged up and they're going to go have sex. (laughs) You tricked (laughs)
1: them. Gotcha. You've
2: been kernered.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You also talk in the book about exploring your inner kinks a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how to do that within your relationship. And like, what if you find some desires changing and those are things that maybe you didn't negotiate weren't part of your early sex life.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk, when I work with heterosexual couples, 100% 100% of them engaged in intercourse the last time they had sex. I mean, if I asked both of you the last time you had sex, whenever mm-hmm. it was, did it involve intercourse?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: probably the answer is yes. Now, I don't know if this is the case for you because, you know, patients come into my office, they have problems. But for a lot of heterosexual couples, they get to intercourse within about one to five or six minutes. There is not much that happens, you know, before uh, intercourse. So we're looking at like, a very thin set of activities. And um, one thing that was interesting is that when um, gay men were surveyed about the last time they had sex, 65% of them didn't have intercourse. They engaged in outer course behaviors, 12 different behaviors that were put together in 1300 different combinations. So that's 1300 different sex scripts. So right there, I wanna say the first thing to answering that question is start to deconstruct your sex script and put it back together in ways that are interesting. And then really the answer to your question is, but don't just make that sex script a series of behaviors. Start to bring some erotic energy. Like if I had met you when you were four or five in the playground, we'd all be playing some kind of make-believe something. Like we'd be inhabiting roles and there'd probably be more power play happening in that playground than is happening in a lot of people's bedrooms, you know, but we really lose that capacity to do that. You know, we lose that language. So I work with couples to start, you know, I don't believe you start from the outside in. It's not about buying handcuffs or saying spank me or choke me or whatever it is you're into because...
0: It is for some people, Ian. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> Go on, Sophia. I don't just want to kidding. dominate I'm the
0: just, conversation. Yeah, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Go ahead.
2: No, you're not an you know, idiot. I mean, but it's not about that. It's not about buying the handcuffs. It's not. It's not. It's working from the inside out and going back to your fantasies and some people will say they don't have fantasies. I don't really call them fantasies. I call them core erotic themes, which isn't my language. It comes from a book by Jack Marin called The Erotic Mind. But these are themes that have sort of been with us often and they grow, they change, they go out of vogue, they come back for us. But, you know, there are erotic themes that circulate within us. And uh, I try and help couples to connect to those themes. Sometimes a guy will say, um, you know, uh, I don't have any fantasies, you know, well, what's the porn you watch? Well, I love POV blowjobs, right? So, okay, so you love POV blowjobs. Why? Like, is it just the friction against the head of the penis and a penis in a mouth and, the you know, pressure against the shell? No, it's that feeling of power. It's the feeling of being dominated or feeling of dominating or it's the feeling of somebody totally taking care of me or something like that. So, oh, so there is actually a core erotic theme already in, the behavior and the porn Mm. that you're watching. So I do try and put in the book, like, I'm hoping questions that you could ask that might point to to some of this stuff and start to open some of it up.
1: If you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know one thing about me, and that's that I love to get my ass eaten. 100%
0: correct. You will not shut up about it.
1: But here's the problem with loving to get your ass eaten. Sometimes people don't want to eat your ass. Maybe they are worried about your hygiene. They just don't want all the funky could be tastes or messiness that goes along with it. Guess what? There is a solution. Laurels. What are laurels, Cokes? Okay, so laurels are basically single-use, natural latex panties that are designed to be worn during oral sex and rimming. I love the feel of latex on skin. I know, it's super sexy, and it's the perfect thing if your partner's a little squeamish or they're worried about messiness. What about if your partner has a quarantine beard that is giving you
0: beard burn?
1: Yes, it would be perfect for that. Laurels are made to help everyone say yes to maximizing pleasure. Couples, thrupples, hookups, spouses, cis, trans, queer, kinky, laurels are for everyone. And laurels are ultra thin, so you feel every little thing. Plus, the super stretchy latex is easy on your partner's tongue and allows for tongue and finger penetration at the same time. Cutching! <laughs> oh! <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. They're the world's first oral sex panties, and they give you the power to love oral always. And
0: for listeners of our show, Laurel's is giving 15% off your first order today at mylaurels.com. That's M-Y-L-O-R-A-L-S dot com using code PRIVATE.
1: That's right. You can get 15% off your first Laurels purchase today at mylaurels.com. That's M-Y-L-O-R-A-L-S dot com. Use code private. Get rimmed. Have that period sex. Get out there, privates. Ow!
0: A lot of the questions that we get DMs about are people who are asking how to, at least in my experience, it's been women asking how to open up their relationship with their partners, because generally the male partner finds it really threatening and Mm -hmm. like a rejection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times the women that I get these DMs from have been in relationships with this guy for years. I've gotten one that was seven years in, one that's 11 years in. And they've been wanting this for a long time and they're just afraid to bring it up because whatever conversations they've had that just gently touched it were so painful for the partner that they stepped off. What do you recommend in these kind of situations?
2: And so in my experience, I've been doing a lot of work lately with sort of consensual non-monogamy and opening up relationships. And it can be usually initiated by either partner. Right. Generally, it's not initiated by both partners, you know, because, and this is really interesting. I I think this is, you know, I said like I'm dealing with a lot of like psychological erectile unpredictability. I wasn't 10 years ago, and people always ask what's changing. And what I am seeing now, which I think is a fascinating cultural moment, is couples who started out monogamously oriented, bought into that whole discourse and structure and want it, and are reaching a point where they have. A really good relationship in a lot of ways, but their sexual selves just aren't really out there and happening. And so they want to open up the relationship. And it, it's such an interesting challenge to start off like monogamously oriented and really buying into that construct and then to try and do this. And, um, you know, Honestly, I I do recommend going to a therapist for that or reading a really good book like Tristan Taramino's book on on opening up. And uh, there there are a few. And and then there were three, I believe is uh, another one. But sometimes when I'm sitting with a couple, it doesn't come up, but I know that one partner is thinking about it, or it will come up overtly and one partner is not interested in it. And, And but yet I'm sitting with a couple. So I'll sort of say like, well, I almost become like a game show host, like door number one, door number two, or door number three. I'm like, here's door number one. Door number one is what you've already been doing, which is trying to work from the inside out. How can you two create a sexual world between yourselves? What have you done? What have you not done? What homework can I give you that you won't do because it's just not going to you know, rock your world and get you going. And by the way, door number one can involve sex toys. It can involve like, you know, watching porn together. It can involve role playing. It can involve tantric uh, sex, BDSM. There's a lot you can do just between two people to create a world. But if that's not working, I'll sort of say, hey, you know, well, like, lucky for us, we live in such interesting times where there's Lots of like sexual adventure to be had out in the world as a couple. Actually, mm-hmm. there are things that you can do. There's a lot, almost anywhere you go that's at least kind of urban. There are interesting uh, parties going on. There are interesting events. There's ways of swinging or being part of um, you know a different kind of sexual lifestyle. There's there's actually a lot there that can happen. So why don't you think about like some shared sexual adventure? And some couples will really go out and do that. And you know what? They'll go to a sex party or they'll invite somebody home to have fun with. And that gives them a charge that keeps them going for like a month or two, right? It just introduces that eroticism and they can really run on that for a while before they do it again. But most couples are... They're like, oh, we're not into that. And I love to challenge that. Like, well, why are you not into that? Like, why are you so sure that you're into consensual non-monogamy or opening up your relationship? Why are you so sure that you're not into shared sexual adventure? So I'm always trying to challenge and deconstruct. But then door number three is going to be um, sort of opening up and each of you figuring out what you both need. And it's it's tricky because you want as few rules as possible. Right. Like sometimes when couples come in, they'll say, We want to talk about opening up our relationship. Can you read an email exchange between us where we talked about some of the rules just so so you're prepared for us? (laughs) And and I swear, I'll print it. And it's like, I don't have enough paper in my apartment to print this one email thread. (laughs) It's like, I'm not a contract lawyer, you know? Um, So you want as few rules as possible. And that's when I sort of know it's going to work because then there's a lot of inherent trust Mm -hmm. and goodwill. But, you know, even down to the details, you know, where are we going to do this? Um, Are we putting up profiles? Unfortunately, with heterosexual couples that sort of open up and go non-monogamous, it's a lot easier right now, I've found, for for women to sort of create interesting sexual opportunities for themselves than it seems to be for the guys. The guys kind of struggle to get sort of um seen in this way uh, mm-hmm. a little more anyway does that start to you know open it up a little bit
0: I think that's a great start and we love Tristan that's a great recommendation
2: I love Tristan too
0: so we've been talking a lot about heterosexual and you know cis people so far in relationships And you say that your practice involves a lot of people on the gender spectrum and Mm -hmm. a lot of people on different sexualities. Are you finding that the problems that you're seeing in heterosexual couples are different from the problems you're seeing in other couples?
2: You know, in a way, the problems are not so different. Like everyone can struggle with desire. Everyone regardless of your body, can struggle with some aspect of sexual function. Everyone can struggle with surrendering or letting go to pleasure. Everyone can deal with trauma. What I have found with you know, non-cis patients, with genderqueer patients, with um, gay men, with trans patients, with lesbian patients, is there isn't really a dominant narrative that overshadows them about how sex should look. So already there's a lot more creativity around mm. the sex script because they don't have to buy into that dominant narrative. Also, because there isn't a dominant narrative, most of the people I've worked with have had some struggle to express their sexuality. You know, if you're, if you're trans, if you're gay, you, you have to have a kind of grit to kind of go after the sex you want because it's not so easy. So there's kind of like sexual grit, resilience, and creativity are already a little more in the mix than it is for heterosexual couples who can be much more sort of pessimistic and fatalistic about these things. So I find the problems are similar, but there's so much more sexual resilience and creativity within the LGBTQ patients.
1: That's fascinating that you say, too, about, well, just for myself, like the door number two option, because it's like, I'm not really ready to open up my relationship. But at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about all these ways that like stranger sex is kind of like such a turn on to me. And like, I like the habits that come along with that. And so I do think that That door number two version of like exploring sex parties together or like finding that stimulation together is definitely a good entry point instead of just being like, let's open up and see what happens.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, like we kind of have this thing of like we met, we were hot and heavy for each other. There was all this attraction. Now that's gone. So the only way I can feel that again is to find that again you know, in some ways or non-monogamy or cheating, but there is a whole in-between space of trying to expand your sexual worlds together. And I really would encourage door number two, you know, because if you started out monogamously oriented and you're looking to expand your sex lives and you had that attraction to each other, and now just the sexual cues aren't as hot. I mean, it's different when two people never had chemistry or sexual attraction, but picked each other for different reasons. I would say if you had it, I have nothing against door number three, but don't just neglect door number two. Give it a whirl. There's some really interesting stuff happening.
1: Yeah, we went to Tokyo. Sophie and I got happy ending massages. And even though it was like a totally controlled environment, we found that that situation just made us like really appreciative of our partners. And then we were like skipping around the next day and we were so (laughs) excited to go home and have sex with them, which totally opened my eyes to how that can kind of work for you psychologically.
2: And did your partners want to know about it? Like, were they at, like, did was that? Oh, well, they form had to hear erotic? it a bunch of times,
1: whether they wanted to hear it or not. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> it was in
0: Business Insider, Ian.
2: They had to get used to the idea. <laughs> but did it turn them on the first time? Like, did they have an erotic curiosity? If they're not podcasters who are going to go, uh, you know, and get profiled, like, did did your partners have any erotic curiosity about what was that massage like?
1: No. I would say my boyfriend definitely was like, "hmm," or just like, "Oh yeah, there's all kinds of different stuff that we could do, you know, just the the like possibility was a turn on..
0: Yeah. I don't think that my husband was like, "Ooh, that's hot. A man you hired." <laughs> <laughs> making you come i mean i think that is a turn on for some people but he was never like "Ooh, that'd be hot if yeah. someone else made you come he was like all right i'm glad you came good for you he wasn't yeah. upset <laughs> but he wasn't like this is this made me feel great he was like this i wasn't there this is fine
2: <laughs> you know it's so interesting in in the book i talk a lot about how um you know you want to get really turned on and we're talking a lot about getting turned on but a big part of sex is also kind of turning off and going into like a a kind of a flow state and just being really, present and not thinking and just being and deactivating. So I'm just wondering when you were getting those happy ending massages, maybe because you had the whole cognitive structure of this is a massage. This is what it's supposed to be where you didn't have any issues kind of just deactivating and letting go and just
1: I think we were kind of forced to because like we didn't even speak the same language as the guys. And so there was like this sort of thing where it's like we're just two people that are trying to like understand you each other and you know what I mean which added uh-huh. I don't know whole, for me
0: it was the same kind of relaxed flow state you get when it's a regular massage so it happened uh-huh. like yeah almost immediately you know
1: Sophia uh-huh. got a way better massage than I did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> situationally yeah. I
2: was very turned on <laughs> so Sophia you know like in your case with your husband I asked that question was it a turn-on and there's definitely a line between Something that was lived out in the world and something that just exists within the realm of fantasy, I wonder like if that could have been like expressed if it, if you weren't actually having that experience, if it could still be expressed as a fantasy or if it could be role played in some way with your partner, I'm wondering in a different context if it might have been a turn on
0: that's a good idea. I'm going to see if we can role play it really
2: <laughs> okay <good idea>. so <laughs> let like, me know. Well- you owe me a
1: massage, buddy.
0: I'm like, I've been talking to Ian. He told me that you owe me this. So. <laughs> Bam, you got kernered.
2: I'm sorry. I'm going to make that I your like catchphrase. I like that. I just hope it's positive getting kernered. I hope it's not a.
1: <laughs> it sounds lame, but it is actually very cool.
2: Okay. <laughs> Well, if it's coming from the two of you, I I believe it. and uh, Sounds cool.
1: This has been amazing. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're great. I loved uh, watching the Finland episode on YouTube. It was so so amazing. And uh, I, I hope you get back on the road soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Take care. almost feel like i could fuck my boyfriend tonight
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow is ian a magician <laughs> you're getting to come you're getting to come everyone's getting to
1: come tonight courtesy of ian Kerner, baby he just really made me self-reflective of I feel like all my sex problems are kind of my own sex problems. Maybe the problem is I have too good of a relationship with my vibrator and I don't feel like I need to like take a sexy shower or, like I don't know, work at it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I kept thinking about this when we were talking with Ian. I was like, is Wade mad that you put more time into being sexy for your OnlyFans than you do for him?
1: I almost brought it up in the interview. I feel like that whole thing came out of me being like, okay, I want to harness some of that old sexual energy where I was just like feeling hot, getting validated from strangers and like doing the shoots and feeling that way kind of gets me in the mood. So Did it
0: though? Did it help you fuck Wade?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel sexier when I'm doing that stuff but you know if I bank a bunch of content and then I don't do it for another six weeks it's like what's happening in between
0: (laughs) I mean I'm not even doing any sexy photo shoots so I don't even have any reason (laughs) to fucking get sexy I guess I mean I feel like now that it's gonna be hot vax summer I do kind of want to get extra sexy and I do want to have like the best summer of my life no pressure or anything but (laughs) I want to bang it out a lot and I I do feel like a lot of the laziness I've been feeling and the sadness honestly I did so much grieving during pandemic I'm just uh-huh. excited to like shrug that off and like get back into like a more flowy sexual state
1: totally isn't it crazy how much of I mean at least for me a huge portion of my sexuality has to do with grooming kind of, you know, it's like if I haven't had my pussy waxed forever (laughs) and I just feel like I got all these straggly pubes or like my highlights are overgrown and I just feel kind of gross, like all that stuff has a little trickle down impact into your sex life.
0: Yeah. I think about that too. And I also wonder if a lot of this is like uh, the really like nasty way that patriarchy kind of warms itself way into you without you realizing. Cause like when I think about what Max does to feel sexy, I'm like, he just showers and puts on clean clothes and he's fucking done.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, he
0: might manscape his pubes like once in a blue fucking moon, but like, that's it. He doesn't really have to, his view of how he looks the hottest doesn't really change. Whereas for women, Before we get waxed or do our face or hair or whatever, we look at ourselves and we're like, this is unacceptable and gross. And how can anyone come to this, including me? And then when we get like our shit done, we're like, oh, my God, I look so cute. I feel hot. Then I'm like, we are very broken.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not going to deny the ingrained patriarchy. No, I'm.
0: Look, I just got eyelash extensions yesterday, and
1: hey, I'm like, "Hey, look at you!"
0: I'm already. Uh I'm not the person I was the day before.
1: But here's the thing, too. It, like, adds a whole nother level of, like, self-hating if then you're, like, judging yourself about this thing that makes you feel good. It's, like, too many layers of unpeeling. It's, like, I just need to do... At this point, I'm already fucked by society, so I just need to do, within reason, what makes me feel good.
0: Absolutely. I'm in no way saying that you should beat yourself up when you do this kind of stuff to make yourself feel good. I'm just saying, to me, it sucks because all of this is also like money and time. And when I think about that, I'm like, all of this just to feel pretty.
1: Men, you owe us money. That is the end of this interview. Not you, Kerner. You're off the hook, Kerner. Kerner, yeah, you gave us free therapy. We're good to go.
0: Everybody else, my Venmo is at Sophia Alexandra. So Catch you in the fucking Venmo uh, notifications, bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a blast talking to Ian. And if you guys enjoyed this conversation, make sure you stay tuned for other sexy conversations like this. And to that end,
0: if you have any suggestions about things we should do in Belize, places we should go, uh, what to eat, what to see, anything really. Anyone we should talk to about love sex sexuality gender anything that is you know private parts unknown material send them our way we are at private parts unknown on instagram and private parts Un on twitter
1: hey sophia what's that bomb ass music
0: this music is by our bomb ass friend amy rosh you should catch her on spotify her last name is spelled r-a-a-s-c-h
1: This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. Oh, we love you. We love you. We're going to marry you if it's okay with your wife and kids. Michael! That was very orgasmic. (laughs) Apropos, (laughs) they came last.
0: Bam, Mike, you just got Kernered
1: <laughs> Yeah, you totally got Kernered um, Hey you guys, we need some more rating in reviews We're gonna ask you until you give them to us So go to RateThisPodcast.com Tell us all your sweet nothings Tell us how much we've helped Your sex life Or just write, you got Kernered <laughs> We'll take that too
0: Yes, we will definitely take that
1: See you guys next time
0: Bye